This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. The UFC was off this past week, but we still got a lot to talk about on today's show as we continue to count down the days to UFC 280. Coming up on the program, I'm going to discuss more on the matchup between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhlchev. Plus, I'll dive deep into Bo Nichols' potential and also some major drama that's going down in the MMA world. 
Now, before we get to all that, let's begin here. Anthony Smith did a piece, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but he was talking about Islam versus Oliveira. And Anthony said something that I found myself saying before. And what he said was, and he uh, uh, applied it to Charles Oliveira in this case, but he said, I'm not going against him anymore. I'm done doubting him. I'm done underestimating him. I'm done picking against him. And then he went on to compliment Charles, saying that Charles has better stand-up than Islam, saying that Charles is comfortable everywhere, including the submission game, that he doesn't have to worry being underneath Islam. Is that true? Like, I don't find myself, particularly publicly, arguing with Lionheart very often, but is that true? I mean, here, let me give you a statistic, guys. People lie. Your mind lies to you. Your mind will play tricks on you. It's where it's very helpful to ultimately have data and numbers. Let me give you a couple of numbers. They're called common opponents. Khabib is looked at as the greatest 55-pounder ever. Khabib and Charles have two common opponents. One is Dustin Poirier, who Charles beat 61 seconds faster than Khabib did. And the other is Justin Gaethje, who Charles beat three minutes faster than Khabib did. That's all we have. Those two never met up. Those two were never scheduled to meet up. It wasn't the match that we missed. It was the match that we were never even discussing. When Khabib was here, I don't know how close Charles even was. There was still massive talk, just for time frame, of getting Ferguson and Khabib in there, which would have been the, the, the sixth attempt. I don't ever remember hearing Charles's name. Now, that's okay. That doesn't dismiss Charles. I'm just sharing for you guys. While one was number one and one was number six, we weren't even close to making that match. So then Charles emerged, but God, my God, how good is this guy? And he was here at the same time as Khabib. That's relevant. How can we say that Khabib is the absolute best if we've got the guy who should have been next in line? He's proven that. We got him ranked way down here at six, seven, eight, whatever Charles was. So then you start looking for common opponents. It's all that you've got. So based on what I just told you, why... Is Charles not number one and Khabib's number two? Moreover, why is Charles not number two and Khabib's number one? And a lot of you say, well, he is. I know that you say that, and I know that that's a belief in our community. That we put Khabib at one and we put Charles at two, but we understand that Charles someday can pass Khabib. I understand it. It's the same argument that's been made about George St. Pierre and Kamar Usman from the beginning of time. I fully understand it. However, while you're saying that out of one side of your mouth, out the other side, you bet and put Islam as a three-to-one favorite over Charles. So if Charles is two, why do you think three times more likely that Islam is going to be? Where did that put Islam number two? I mean, you see the problem. You see where this starts to get really weird. And moreover than that, I'll go ahead and answer my own question. It was meant to be rhetorical anyway. I asked myself an easy question to tee myself up so I could look like a smart guy when I knock it out of the park, which is, forget about the 61 seconds against Poirier and forget about the four minutes against Gaethje. You can back the tape up to Michael Chandler. Every single one of those fights have a common theme, which is Charles almost lost. That's the difference. Whether Khabib was a little bit slower and a little bit more steady, he was never once in trouble. Regardless of what your memory tells you, Khabib was not in trouble when he was caught in that guillotine by Poirier. I mean, just so you understand, 
It was seven and a half minutes to get that job done, but he was in absolute, complete domination the entire time. Seven and a half was the, the Gaethje stat, but you, you still understand my point. Charles has been in trouble. So when I hear that Charles has better stand up than Islam, now on that one, in fairness, you could be right. You could be right. I don't know that we've ever seen Islam in stand-up fighting. However, while all of Islam fights have gone to the ground, 100% of his fights have started standing up. So it's not as though we haven't seen him there. To be a good stand-up fighter is not what people like to tell you, where you got to be able to punch and elbow and knee and kick more than the other guy can. You could never throw a single one. If you're never in trouble, you got a damn good batting average. If your way of handling the stand-up portion of the fight is to clinch so that you're never hit, the Hoist Gracie approach, to get a takedown so that you're never hit, then that is your stand-up fighting. I don't have to know how many knockouts you have. I want to know how many times you've been knocked. How many times have you been hit? Right. I mean, there's two sides of the coin. So while we have seen Charles Oliveira knock people down and finish fights from his feet, we've also seen Charles knocked down and almost finished from his feet. I don't know what you want to do with that. I don't know how you want to work that in. But if you're telling me that Islam's never knocked anybody down, that's a good stat. I can't deny that. But if I come back and shove it up your ass and tell you that nobody has ever knocked Islam down, you're going to have to admit that too. You've got your offense and your defense, and there's more than one way to skin a cat. And being a good stand-up fighter, Hoyce Gracie never got beat up on his feet either. But he had ways of not having to be there very long. When I hear that Charles, so I don't know, on the stand-up, I don't know. That's what Anthony's point was, and I'm bringing to you that I don't disagree with it. I'm just offering a little bit of food for thought. When I hear that Charles is comfortable on the ground, let me stop you right there. Because nobody is. I come to you with a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I understand the sport. I have been in that position. I've had to protect myself. Nobody wants to be underneath. One of the great jiu-jitsu players this sport has ever seen is Damian Maya. And nobody is remembered more falsely than Damian Maya. Damian Maya will put you away. Damian Maya would tap you out. He never did it from guard. Broad stroke, don't think you have to point out a correction to me. Damian Maya would come to the ground. He would instantly reverse you. He would then get on top. Then he would go to work. No, but when I tell you nobody wants to be on bottom, that is not figurative. And there's not some guy out there that's going to be the first. Nobody wants to be on bottom. Bottom is not good. And if a guy is so good with the jits, he's so good at all these other things so that he can nullify you, go ahead and nullify him. Nullify me for 25 minutes. If I'm on top and you're on bottom, I win and you don't. So I'm just wondering this question because I am truly interested in Oliveira's strategy when he gets down. And I would know that if I was in the room with him right now. If he is practicing being on bottom and he's trying to find a Kimura or a triangle, he's not going to win this fight. If Charles Oliveira on bottom is planning to get to an underhook, opposite hip, stand up. If he's planning to slip out the back, arm drag, hit a reversal, we're having a totally different conversation. I've seen that work. That was the Damian Maya approach. Never try to find a submission on your back. Never lay on your back and make believe that you're winning a fight. Go to your back to stop the strikes, to get it to the ground, and then find a way to get to a good position, which is the one on top. 
That's the part I got to push back at. I know Charles himself said, I'll start this fight on my back. That would be a really bad idea. It would be a terrible idea to ever concede that position because every second that you're there, you're losing. And there's not a judge licensed under the ABC banner that will tell you different. All things are equal and you're on the ground. The guy on top is winning. Against the fence. You got two guys standing on the fence. Nobody's doing anything. Whoever's back is against the fence is losing. Whoever's ass is facing open space and has the opportunity to move should they want to is winning. I don't make these rules up. I'm just sharing for you. I don't know who's going to win between those guys. I'm with Anthony. I'm not counting Charles out anymore. I'm not. His wins and, and how impressive he did it and the guys that he did it against, dealing with the stresses of his financial burden being changed, of the fact that he can't get of the night bonuses, of the fact that they took his belt away and 24 hours later walking out there and having the single best performance of his life, I'm with Anthony. I'm not counting Charles out. But, right, there's a big but. We're still trying to learn things in this sport. Sambo versus jiu-jitsu. I mean, these are the two club. These are the two massive clubs and the massive belief systems that will not put it on the line for this fight. You are not having Sambo coming out and saying, we're going to show you and we're going to show you once and for all. You're not having jiu-jitsu come out and say, we're going to show you and we're going to show you once and for all. Neither side has any level of confidence to put that on the table, but it's there. It's there very much. And there's no point in holding these contests from 1993 until now if we're not searching for what the most effective way to do it is. Nobody's winning a fight on bottom. And nobody wants to be on bottom. Let's just get that clear right from the jump. If Charles' plan is to submit Islam when he's down, we got a problem. We have 25 good minutes of action. He's rolling this way and he's rolling that way. And all the legs come Oh, and there was an elbow that slipped. Uh, uh, okay. All right. We've been doing this since 93. Uh, show me someone 95 or after that's ever won a fight from the bottom. I mean, right, you, you could do it. You'd have to search. You're not going to find it in a main event. You're not going to find it in a world title fight. Is Charles going to be the first? I mean, it's one of those things, maybe, but is that what you want to bet on? Is that what you really think? We, we really do. If we had that piece of information, we would have a massive clue to this fight. If Charles, when he's taken down, plans to stay down, we don't need to see this fight. We, we, it's already done. If Charles, when taken down, plans to get back up, okay, you have my attention. If you could assure me that Charles, when he's down, can get back up or reverse him, whoa, you might have just changed the fight. There is nothing that will physically and or mentally drain a wrestler more than if he gets a takedown and he doesn't get to stay there. If you're one of those guys that can pop up off the bottom and make him go to all that effort, it is the most cardiovascular requiring technique in all of combat sports is the takedown. When the takedown is done, that wrestler has got to have a moment to catch his breath. If you scramble right up to your feet, you're now in the same position that the wrestler didn't want to be in, which is why he went for the takedown, except now he has less energy. It's a problem. You do that three times, he's not going to try to take you down a fourth. 
So if I had evidence that Charles not only planned to stood up, but that he's good enough and he can stand up, we're having a completely different conversation. But every time that I hear somebody picking Charles, which is a great pick, by the way. I haven't given my pick. Maybe I'm going to... It's a, it's a very good pick. When I hear them picking Charles because of how comfortable he is and how good is jujitsu, I've got to stop you right there. What was the point in doing this from 93 on? If we're not going to learn from that, what was the point of Damian Maya coming back and reviving jujitsu if you're going to misremember his career and act like he was down there doing rubber guard? That's not what happened. It's not what any of the greats have done. It's not likely to happen at UFC 280. Let's transition from the stars of today to the stars of tomorrow. Paddy Pimlet and his plans to fight at UFC 282 and Bo Nickel. Paddy the Batty's up to no good, and I gotta tell you, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So, Patty the Batty, who once upon a time I thought was a dorky guy with a weird hairdo that you can get a little bit of buzz from, completely different opinion. I mean, I'm right about the dorky guy and the terrible hairdo, but completely different opinion after I saw his last fight. There is nothing potential-wise that was shown in his last contest that doesn't lend to the fact that he could be a world champion. Now, Patty's been doing the same thing over and over, and I kept on thinking it was a mistake. Every time he would do it, as a matter of fact, I would critique it. I'm bearing my lead. Let me get to it. Patty talks about a show that he's going to fight on an opponent that he wants, and he never says a name. And I thought it was an heir. I thought, well, this is a young guy. He'll get this figured out. You got to name a name. But there's truly few things more effective in the world of marketing than speculation. Patty has forced me to come over here and speculate. And quite frankly, even within my mind, before it comes out of my mouth, I'm enjoying it. I would like to speculate on Patty. So here's what Patty told us. Okay. Says that he's planning to fight at UFC 282. Now that's like December 10th. And I only know that date because that's the day that Bo Nichols is going to fight and Darren Till and Duplessis are not. But it's a pay-per-view and it's in Vegas. And that matters because when Dana White laid out the plan for what he's going to do with Patty, he talked about a few things and ultimately get him to Vegas on pay-per-view was one of them. So Patty says, I'm planning. Now you got to understand this word. I'm planning to fight at 282, which is the December card. It's not definitive. There's nothing there that you can count on. There's no kind of commitment. He didn't say that he was in training camp. He's planning to. Okay, great. You got me. I mean, he got me. And then Patty said, as he said in his other contest as well, that guy, he doesn't have an opponent yet, and that these guys don't quite have the same courage when a contract gets in front of them. Now, that leads you to believe that an opponent or multiple opponents have been offered Patty and have turned it down. I would believe that. I don't want to believe it. I will tell you, back in the day when I got into this sport, guys weren't doing that. The guys who I've looked up to in this sport never did that, but I do know there is no league anywhere with more fake tough guys. The fact that Tom Brady would walk onto a field and take on anybody that shows up. 11 opposing guys. He doesn't even know who his guys are going to be. They could get hurt. They could get traded out. These guys could get traded out. Somebody else comes in. He has absolutely no idea, and he'll walk out there on Sunday and do it anyway for four hours. I mean, really? 
Tom Brady's tougher than the UFC fighters? Yeah, apparently. And LeBron will go do the same thing. Five guys instead of 11, any way you want to do it. And I don't even know who my own teammates are. I don't know anyone that will be out there. I said I'd show up on this day and I'm going to show up. Apparently, those guys are tougher than cage fighters. And I do believe Patty. I do believe that Patty is looking to fight at 282. I do believe he's coming to Vegas on pay-per-view. I think that that's very exciting news, considering that would expedite the plan that Dana had. Bring him right to Vegas, put him right on pay-per-view. That's interesting to me. I love the marketing side of it. And moreover, if that is in fact the case, then they would be looking for opponents. And the fact that they haven't announced one says that Patty's telling the truth. That somebody's turning him down. Now, before I even got to that and my blood started to boil and I would want to name names, I would want to out them so that I know who we're not going to cheer for and cover ever again in the future. As much as I would like to know who those guys are. There's only one guy that's called Patty out that I've seen. Mark Madsen, the Olympian, 5-0, is the only guy that I have seen who called Patty out. And not to mention, he did it pretty respectfully. He said, man, this guy's good. This guy's good. He's unbeaten. I'm unbeaten. I would like the opportunity. I thought it was polite. And I don't know what would happen to that fight. That's actually a really interesting match. But let's, let's just set that aside, the fact that I only have one guy whose name I can produce that has even called out Patty, and now Patty's, Patty's sticking your nose in it. Patty's being nice. Whoever it is that's turning down the contract or whoever has gotten the call, Patty made it sound like it, it was plural. Patty didn't out him. He didn't say this guy said, said no, this guy said no, this guy came up with an excuse, this guy's got to feed his dog. and say anything, which is polite. I thought Patty would have been an agitator. I thought Patty would have been a guy to out these guys. I thought he, w- he would have roughed them up to get himself over, but he's not doing it. He didn't say who they were. He didn't go any further. And I would like guys to call out Patty. I would like that. And I've got to give Madsen a lot of credit for being the only one to do it, and he did it publicly. But I'd also like to see Patty calling out other guys, because I'd like to see where Patty thinks he's at. I thought he looked incredible in his last fight, and I don't think he was at his best. That weight cut is an issue to some extent. You're a young guy. You got about 24. You got about 30 hours. You you can rehydrate and you can replenish. It's to some extent. Not, not nearly what the media is trying to make of it, but to some extent. But then we found out about the mental and emotional burden that he was going into after having lost a friend who he was dedicating the match to. So I don't believe that Patty was at his best. And I would like to know where he sees himself. That's relevant where a guy sees himself. I mean, this whole Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva, that that tells us. This is where Jake sees himself. That matters. Sugar Sean going after Peter Young. That tells us how he sees himself. That matters. If Patty was to call out a name fighter, that, that would tell us something. If he was to go after number six, if he was to go after number 11, if he wants a brand new guy who's unsigned and is going to debut, it would all tell us something. I would like it. I would like to have that information. Patty's been a gentleman about it. But why are you guys, and who are you guys turning this fight down? I would be very curious. I can tell you until I'm blue in the face. Like, nobody understands this sport like I do. Truly. Nobody understands 
The business of the sport like I do. Like, when I tell you something, this isn't then up for debate where you then tell me your opinion back. I'm not asking you for your opinion. I'm not coming to your channel and watching your show. I've already got this figured out. I don't need to know what you think, respectfully. When I tell you something, that is it. And quite frankly, you're very lucky for having access to my mind as often as you get it. In all fairness, you really are. And if you did listen to my advice, you'd make a whole bunch of money. You'd have a really long career, and a lot of people do. But when I tell you your ranking does not matter in comparison to your placement on the card, this isn't up for debate. If you'd rather be ranked number three and jerking the curtain at 2.30 while the building's empty, or you'd rather have no ranking and be in a co-main event, if you don't understand the difference in those two, I can't help you. I can tell you, I can plead with you, I can show you commas and zeros. I can show you headlines, but you got to have the headlines before you get the place, but before you get the commas and zeros, I can tell you the order of it all. But if you don't understand that message, if you would rather have a five next to your name on a dot com that nobody goes to, like if that's more important, there's nothing I can do. Patty the Batty's going to be on the main card. Dana White said our final step with him is to bring him to Vegas and put him on pay-per-view. UFC 280 is in Vegas and it's on pay-per-view. They're going to feature Patty, which means they could feature you. But only Mark Madsen has publicly said he would like that spot. Chemayev versus Bo Nickel. Guys, the only thing that I'm impressed here with is that Bo Nickel, who's not debuted in the UFC, can keep a topic going about himself versus Chemayev. I mean, there's an art to that. There truly is. And I don't know that Bo had some great strategy and he planned this out. I think maybe on accident he fell into something really great, but I've got to observe it either way. I mean, I do have to give a real good look to the fact that a guy who has never fought in the octagon is now being compared and by many argued will be able to beat a guy who's never lost in the octagon. That's interesting, and that's a great job by Bo. Now he's got big Daniel Cormier weighing in on it. And Daniel Cormier, as a wrestler, as a wrestling coach, as somebody that really understands wrestling, particularly as it, as it crosses over and pertains to MMA, brought himself in on it when he was talking about Bo. And he said, you know what? Hold on. Bo's a better wrestler than Chemayev. If they went and had a wrestling match, Bo would prove that by beating Chemayev. But in MMA, you're talking about something very different. And then he talked about himself. So, you know, I had a really hard time taking down John Jones, but on paper for wrestling, I am far more decorated. Now, Daniel didn't really expand on that, but you understand what he's talking about. You understand he's talking about a difference and how do you get those holds to carry over? And it would be tough to know. Look, Chemayev has taken everybody off their feet except for one guy. He did not take Merchant off his feet because he knocked him out with a hook instead. But he's taken everybody else off their feet, but he's done it the same way. The same setup, the same range, the same placement in the octagon, and the same double leg. Now, a double leg is the greatest move in all of wrestling. It's a basic move, sure. It'd be much more sophisticated and complex to learn a low single, for sure. But a double leg's the single greatest move in wrestling. You grab both legs. The guy can't sprawl. The guy now has those legs. You took them both away. I mean, the double leg is the great move, and it's the one that Shemayev goes to. Now, Nickel, even in his brief moments that he's been in there, even if you were to look at his last fight, like it's really hard for me to explain to you on the takedown that Bo did in his last match on the Contender Series, how absolutely complex that is. 
to be stepping one side with a punch, disguising your closing of range behind strikes to cut back the other way, your hand has to be in the perfect spot. Bo Nickel's hand is two inches higher, two inches lower. That opponent didn't fall down. So in the middle of chaos, in the middle of throwing a punch, you've got to cut back. By the way, you've got to post on his chest with one hand. You've got to hit the exact right spot with your right hand. And he did them all. Now, that's small and that's limited. But if you can take somebody down like that, I would imagine you could, of course, do the most basic rule in wrestling, which is a double leg. But I get Daniel's point. I get where they don't cross over. I get where it's not about who the better wrestler is. And I used to think that it was. And Daniel doesn't have to stop at John Jones. Daniel could also bring in the fact that he couldn't get Stipe down. In a very difficult time getting Stipe down. So I, I, I really do understand what the Big Bear is talking about, for sure. But would it carry over to these two? And I hope I did not sound dismissive of Chemayev's wrestling by saying all he's done to everybody is a double leg. You should always start with your best hold. And if a guy can't stop it right, St. Pierre who goes down as the greatest person, greatest MMA wrestling we've ever seen. Took absolutely everybody off their feet. Oh, by the way, wasn't stuffed very many times. It wasn't a lot of air balls by St. Pierre, but it was that same technique right into a double. He finished it different. He came up, he came up on his toes. He finished it different. But it was still the same technique and he still got to it. Look, Mike Tyson's career is cloaked the same way. Everybody knew about that uppercut. Everybody knew about that hook. Nobody could stop that uppercut. Nobody could stop that hook. And I don't argue for you right now that Chimayo's wrestling is obvious. It's simple. I'm arguing for you that he's been able to do the same technique, and I would suspect he has many more. Once those are countered, he will then go to option B. Once that's countered, he will go to option C. He will then rinse and repeat and start back at one, go to two, go to three. The same thing that Nichols doing. So I do understand Daniel's point. I understand it fully. But I don't know that we've seen enough from either guy. We keep talking about Nickel doesn't have the experience. Where is Chemayev's? I mean, with what experience are you talking about with Chemayev? He's had six fights. He's been in the octagon 20 minutes. So he has 20 minutes more experience. Bo's never been in there, and Chemayev's been in there for 20 minutes. What experience is it that you're referring to? If there was any other fighters and they were separated by pure 20 minutes in a specific realm, which in this case is the octagon, is that going to matter to you? I mean, what if I was to tell you, and you guys are telling me that, that Islam can beat Charles. What if I was to tell you that Charles has been in the octagon for a little over two hours and Islam has been in there under 30 minutes. Now you're talking about a discrepancy of 400%. Bows down, percentage-wise on experience, 20 minutes. All of a sudden, that 20 minutes doesn't start to matter, does it? Charles Oliveira has been in there four times longer than Islam, but Islam's the favorite. So what happened to your experience argument? What happened to your argument about he's not ready? What is it that gets you ready? Is it rounds? Is it opponent? Is there time in there? What is it that gets you ready? Now, I know the answer. I'm just wondering if you do. Because a moment ago, the collective community told me that Bo doesn't have the experience to take on Chemayev. They're separated by 20 minutes. And now I'm bringing to you that Charles has 400% more experience than Islam, but you're telling me Islam should win. What happened to your argument about the experience? Experience, of course, doesn't have to do with rounds. And of course, it doesn't care who your opponent is. It does matter whether you walked in there or not. It does matter the travel, the weigh-ins, the media, warming up in the locker room and going out. That's true. I agree with that. But I wonder what happened to the people's argument. 
or saying that Bo doesn't have the experience with Jemiah. Look, we're not going to get to that point. It's not going to be Bo versus Jemiah. I respect the fact that Bo was able to connect himself and cling so close for so long to the debate. I really do appreciate that. There's a skill in that. And Chemayev, who's been a master of the media for three straight years, is also going to have to tip his hat to that and say, well done. But as far as the overwhelming argument that not only is that fight not going to happen, it shouldn't happen because they have different levels of experience. They're separated by 20 minutes. What do you have to say now? So last week, there were all sorts of reports about some drama going down on a few of the biggest names in the world of MMA managers. Let's try and make sense of all of them. Here's your players. Slim Trebelsi, Ali Abdelaziz, Fernando Lopez. Are you guys following this? Like, this is some of the biggest drama going on in MMA right now. And it gets, it gets very complicated. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't love the reputation or the way that Fernando Lopez is being looked at. I, I don't love that. Fernando Lopez is in a colossally difficult position, which is he is running the gym. He's training guys. So then he loves the guys and he wants to help them and he's got contacts over the years. So then all of a sudden he's picking up the phone and next thing you know, he's in a manager role. Okay, great. That's all fine. Then he has an event that he's the promoter of over there in France. Now, in America, they'll look at that as a conflict of interest. I don't know international law. In America, you can't wear all of those hats, but you would see why a guy would want to. Guy's just trying to cover his bases. Hey, I got a bunch of fighters. I don't have anywhere for them to go, so I'll even go start a show so I could get these guys matches. Of course, I'm going to train them. If I can get them something bigger and better because of the contacts I had, I'll pick up the phone and handle that too. Like, to look at that as though Lopez is doing something wrong, I, I strongly disagree with. And I had a coach, rest his soul, that was in that same position, Robert Fallis. All he wanted to do was help. And Robert did help a lot of guys. And over time, those guys would have a resentment towards him. I mean, it happened time and time again. And it wasn't always because of something that Robert did. Robert would go do something nice for someone else. And then I would see guys say, well, that nice thing should have been done for me. Like you get the coach in a really weird spot. Forget about the laws. The best way for Fernando to do it, which he would probably come out and tell you, if I could do it all over again, I'd have just been their coach. I'd have just been their coach. I don't want to deal with anything else. Pat Militich got put in this spot. Pat Militich was like, the ultimate gym. This is before, say, American Top Team out in Florida existed. Or the Black Zillions, which are now Stanford. I mean, before all of this existed, you had Militich MMA. And Militich had like three world champions in the room. I mean, he had, he had Rich Franklin, he had Matt Hughes, he had Tim Sylvia, he had Jens Pulver. They're four world champions. Simultaneous, by the way. These guys are all holding the belts at the same time. But Pat knew, I don't want to get involved in any of that. As a matter of fact, I'm still competing a little bit myself. So he goes, he finds Monty Cox, and he has Monty, these are my guys, but you manage them. Two separate things. I don't get a kickback. I don't, I'm going to train these guys. You're going to manage them. Now, Pat's doing all the work, and Monty's getting all the money, but that's okay. It was a very clean way to do it. And when everything ended, Pat left with a wonderful reputation. 
I just offer you that example because I do feel that Lopez is being misunderstood. I really do. The tremendous buildup and the tremendous storyline that we have between Surreal Gone and Francis Ngannou, which quite frankly is the single greatest storyline in heavyweight history we all owe to Fernando Lopez. So Fernando's got this guy, his name's Slim. I'm just going to call him Slim. Trebisi can be hard for you guys to say. I happen to know Slim because he's an excellent wrestler. He would have represented his country in the 2016 Olympic Games if the country had qualified. He was the top guy. So at some point, he finds his way to France, and he finds his way to Fernando's gym. Now, when you're the head of the gym, there are so many things that have to go with this. I mean, Andre Pettineris does the same thing that Fernando Lopez does. Pettineris is absolutely revered, and I feel as Lopez is getting, acting like people, like he's doing something wrong. And all that, is, what I'm talking about, the Pettineris, Pettineris will bring a guy in. If that guy's got nowhere to stay, he will stay with Pettineris. If there's not an extra cot at the Pettineris house, he'll stay in the gym. He will have a roof over his head. He will have heat. He will have a shower. He will have his training. Well, that guy's going to need some clothes to wear. Who do you think's buying that? Pettineris. Or in this case, Fernando Lopez. That guy's got to have something to eat. Guy's got to have gloves and he's got to have mouthpieces. Then he got to go get medicals before he can go into show. Those coaches are coming out of pocket. Those coaches are helping guys. The same as your communities. Whatever community you're in, whether you are part of this or not, whatever community you're in, you have guys that are doing that. Now, they usually do it with children. Eight and nine and ten-year-olds. And they bring them into something. They, they give them purpose. And they get them off the streets. And they teach them a skill. And they send them home tired. Generally. But a lot of times that has to happen with the adults too. They end up in a tough spot. So Slim's training with Fernando. Okay. Lopez has a management agreement with Slim. Slim goes to Ali Abdelaziz, right? Now, if you can get to Ali, if you can have any manager out there and you have the ability to get to Ali, right? It, it's a manager to the stars. You, you, you don't turn that opportunity down. But Lopez had represented to Ali, I'm free, I don't have a manager. Ali, hey, I'm going to help you out. Ali got introduced to him by Ali's cousin, right? He wanted to come in, he wanted to help somebody out. He knew who the guy was. He'd seen training video of him. Ali, great grappler, follows other grapplers. So he just knew about the guy. Hey, one phone call, I got him in. No problem. Well, it then turns out that Slim had a management contact, uh, contract with Fernando. That Slim misrepresented that. Now, before you think Slim's the skunk at the garden party, the same way is you've got to look at Fernando's situation different, right? you got to understand it from his perspective, and I've seen it. I've seen guys and coaches in that position where then their own guy turns on and it hurts bad. It hurts bad. It feels like a knife in the back. It's, it hurts. But Slim's not looking at it like that. Slim doesn't have his paperwork. He doesn't have documentation. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a job, but he's got a skill and he needs an opportunity. So he told a different manager that he didn't have representation. So Ali, as only Ali can do, makes a phone call and has Slim an opportunity on Fight Island and the heavyweight class in the UFC. Now it gets worked out between Fernando and Ali 
that, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually his manager and I've got a contract here. Slim comes back and kind of throws his hands up. Listen, you, you see why I did this? I thought I was just trying to get an opportunity. I'm just trying to get a job. I didn't think he had made the phone call. I thought you could do it. I told you, oh, oh, let's just give Slim a pass. I mean, I understand where what Treblisi did is wrong. I, I, I do understand that. But we also understand people can tell you that life's all about choices. A guy who's hungry does not have a choice. Whether you want to be highfalutin in your little loft or not, not everybody has a choice. That guy has got to eat. So he took an opportunity and Ali make a call. Either way, he signed. He's within the UFC. Now, Lopez and Ali are trying to work this out, and Ali's coming hands off. Whoa. I'm a manager. You're a manager. I know the deal, and I would not have taken this guy if I knew he was with you. Go right ahead. Oh, and by the way, I happen to have him a contract with the UFC. So take that, take your guy, and best of luck. For some reason, it didn't end there. I must tell you that I wish as an outside observer it would have. Because I know exactly what Ali was trying to do. And I know exactly when he was confronted with information he didn't previously had. Passed it all back. Kept the opportunity. Didn't say, I'm going to tear this up. I need a piece. We're splitting the guy. Fernando, this is your guy. Did not know that. I now have an opportunity. Here you go. For some reason, it didn't end there. Fernando, who has a show, I tell you the name of it, but I can't, it's letters, right? It's an acronym, Axis, something along these. He has a show in France. Slim is the heavyweight champion. So within that contract, it does not have a UFC out. Many organizations do, which is you're with us. You're not going anywhere unless the UFC calls. It's called a UFC out. It's very common to have. Slim thought that he had it. That is what he had represented. Ali went on the information he had, goes and gets in this contract. Matter of fact, he's got him a fight. He's got an opponent. He's got him a date. He's got everything. Ali now has to do visa. I mean, it, the whole thing's a mess. Ali's out 10 grand buying attorneys, just trying to take care of this guy because his cousin called and told him about him, right? You guys know how Ali works. Huge heart. He's going to do whatever it takes, whether he gets that money back or not. If he can change somebody's life, he's going to. But Lopez was able to say, wait a minute, you have a contract over here in this organization that does not have a UFC out. Therefore, you can't even sign the UFC contract. Now, Lopez can do that. That is perfectly above board to do. It just at that point would be mean. You can do it and not having a UFC out or having a UFC out. Quite frankly, these, these smaller organizations that are trying to build guys up, I don't know why you would have the out. I mean, I would get that. That, that can be open for debate. So Lopez didn't do anything wrong, but it was mean. He had the ability to pass the guy on or to take the guy back and now see him through his UFC career. I would imagine Lopez is basically saying, I don't know that I want to work with you. I don't know how much I can trust you. I had you in the gym. I trained you. I got you fights. I find out you tell someone else that I don't exist. You go get a deal. And now, I mean, it, it's a tough spot for everyone. It's a tough spot for everyone. And if you were to look at those pieces that I just give, you're going to come to a conclusion pretty quickly that Slim screwed up. Well, have some grace. Please have some grace. The athlete many times will screw up. And while you'll have people that act like the athlete's on top, he's the CEO and he's calling the shots, it does not work that way. It does not work that way. 
No athlete goes out above his trainer. They all look up. No athlete goes out above his manager. They control and they make the calls. And it's very relevant that you know that because Slim's in a tough spot. He saw an opportunity. He tried to get it. I, I can't blame him. I admit he went about it wrong. I admit that. I still don't blame him. I don't. I understand him. If I was to personalize this, I was in a situation myself. It was college. I signed with Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University and Chael P. did not work out. So I'm going to transfer back and go to the University of Oregon, but I can't do that. There's rules unless I'm released by the university, which they could say no. And I remember what the athletic director told me when I sat down with him. He heard my whole story, sat there and listened to me talk about all these things that... And he stopped me at the end and he said, Chael, I'm going to do for you what I do for any athlete, which is whatever is best for the athlete. And he meant it. And it was time to sign that paperwork and put it in the fax machine and give me a full release so I didn't lose eligibility. It's what he did. That's also what Ali is doing, in all fairness. He's going to do whatever is best for the athlete. Now, I'm just sharing this story with you. I, I really don't like that any of these guys are getting egg on their face. These are very common stories. You just don't hear about them. They're very common within gyms. They're very common within managers. And it's very common within an athlete to take the best opportunity he can. So reserve judgment. I will share with you if I had a magic wand away over the situation. I would do what was done for me many years ago, which is what Ali is attempting to have done now, which is whatever is best for the athlete. All right, guys. So we've been doing a lot of looking back, and now I want to look ahead to a matchup that many of us are looking to get early next year. Gilbert Burns has come out, and he said that he believes that Edwards versus Usman part three is going to be closer. He even laid out his case. He said, well, you know what? If you go back and you look at that fight, said Leon took him down, took him out, took his back in the first round. They were at altitude. And you guys will remember, you guys will remember altitude and how that affected, because you saw it more in Luke Rockholt than anybody else. Remember how tired you were getting out there? So Leon has this great moment. Then there's something called an adrenaline dump. I mean, I could get all into it. I just fully understand what Burns is saying. That first round went better than expected, and it went so well that it drained a little energy, not to mention the elevation, which allowed Kamara to come on for a few rounds. Leon comes back, catches him. Leon's going to learn from that, and he's going to be able to, to draw motivation and a confidence from that. Do better the third time. Very simple comment. Very logical guess. That wasn't my takeaway. My takeaway from hearing Burns talk about Kumaro and Leon 3, okay? That fight's not announced. There is no Kamara and Edwards 3 that's announced. Now, it could have been announced that night. But it wasn't. Why wasn't it? Well, it wasn't announced because we had Shemaya versus Diaz coming up in a week, and, and the public was told that was going to be a number one contenders match. So we got to let this play out, and we'll come back to it. Either way, if you're the athlete, you just got some time. Now, Shemaya ends up missing weight, and Diaz rides off into the sunset. We all know this story. But where's Colby? 
I mean, just as an example. And the one person who tried to stick their nose in there, right? I understand it's going to be Kamara and Leon. I understand that that's likely. But either way, what's different today than was yesterday, and you didn't announce it, that gives an opportunity. That gives an opportunity to plead your case, to argue your point, for the Blahal Mohammeds of the world to speak up. And I'm more just sharing with you the fact that they didn't. And we'll never know. We'll never know now because the Chemayev Diaz number one contenders match didn't take place. We'll never know. I believe had that match taken place, had it taken place at the agreed upon weight class, and had it gone the way that the odds makers predicted, I believe Chemayev would have been standing in there with Leon. Now, I don't think Kamara would have gotten screwed. I don't think Kamara would have to go have a contenders match. I think Kamara would wait. I think Chemayev would have fought Leon, and Kamara's next match would be for the title. It would just be for the winner of Chemayev versus Leon. Conspiracy theory can't prove any of it. That's what I think. There was only one promise made, and it wasn't to Usman. The promise made was to the audience that Chemayev versus Diaz would be a number one contenders match. I think that would have been preserved had that happened. I think. And I'm moreover trying to bring you a point, right? I'm just trying to bring you a point that we like to call a Sandhagen. And I do feel that guys oftentimes in this sport come up with stories and they accept things that aren't true. They're narratives and they're built in in the media. I feel like they don't see the clues around them. If we were going to do Kamara versus Leon, if that was it and it was done, why didn't we announce it? Why? Because we were looking at something else. Why do you think we didn't announce Glover versus Prohaska, which was the single greatest, at least entertainment-wise, light heavyweight fight of all time? Cause, well, because we were looking at something else. That's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get in there and make sure that you're that something else. And I don't see that. And I'm not giving Gilbert a hard time at all. But if you ever find yourself saying, well, this is all that makes sense, or you have a manager or a trainer or somebody else tell you, well, this is the one that makes sense. Well, what makes the most sense? The most sense is Kamar versus Land. I understand that. But if you find yourself saying that, just understand you are always going to be limited on what makes sense to the confines of your own creativity. Always. So if you're not creative enough to think of a solution, I mean, I'm seeing it right now in the heavyweight division. The heavyweights have stood back to let Jones, who's never fought there, Stipe, who got carried out in his last fight, and Francis, who apparently doesn't even have a contract, form a little elitist club round robin and be over here to figure this out. However you want to do it. You can put Jones with Stipe, you can put Jones with Francis, you can put Francis with Stipe, you can do anything you want, but it's those three, and we're all going to be over here waiting till they figure it out. That's never been said. That's never been stated. That is a narrative and a belief because you think that's what makes sense. But when you say something makes sense, you're confined to your own levels of creativity. I'd be putting a wrench in this whole thing if my guy hadn't gone down with a bad knee. If Aspinall would have got the jump on Curtis Blades, believe me, you would be hearing from me over here, not to mention the hardest opponent for Jones or Stipe. Style-wise is Curtis Blades, who's silent. 
One of the great arguments, of course, would be Surreal Gone, who is 16 and 1 and a former champion, coming off a decisive finish victory over the number four guy. You show me a time in history that number one has beaten number four in a main event by stoppage and didn't get a world title fight. Show me one time any weight class you want. The number one guy just stopped the number four guy in a main event. Show me one time in history that didn't get you a title shot. Surreal's not even calling for it. Surreal's sandhagging like all the rest of them. He has no idea what's going on around him. We've elected a narrative that these three guys going to go. We don't even care what order. That's how much power these three guys have. They can do it in any order that they want. We'll make it an undisputed title. We'll do these guys. We'll make it an interim title. Like, we got this whole thing figured out. Okay. All right. It's your career. You can fight for it or not. You can follow a narrative that's out there, or you can follow the sport. Usman and Leon part three isn't signed. It's going to be. This isn't like this isn't the world's greatest example that I'm giving you uh, about this match. But I would be inserting myself. I would be poking into that every chance I got. I would be looking at the calendar. I would see where they are fighting. And then I'd be inserting myself. Hey, you know what? I see you guys are going to Columbus. You know, I went to college in Columbus. Hey, I see you guys are going to Portugal. You know, I got family in Portugal. I did an exchange there. My junior, whatever the story was, and however I was inserting myself, I would be doing it. I wouldn't be stepping aside. I wouldn't be accepting things. And I wouldn't be make-believing that a fight is going to happen in a division that I compete in that's not signed. Why is it not signed? It's a perfectly fair question by me. But much like no 205-pounders stepped in, so... Grab Glover. We looked around. We looked around for six weeks, but we ended up with this one. Nobody else stepped forward. Nobody came forward. Even Chemayev is playing nice. I realize that Chemayev missed weight, but all the same, even Chemayev is playing nice. So I guess we're going to go make the fight. And I guess Jones, who's never done it, and Stipe, who got carried out in his last one, and Francis, who doesn't even have a contract, I guess they, they can do whatever they want. We'll make up a belt if we have to. And by the way, do it any, any way you want. It's a weird way to run your career. It's a weird way to buy in. And if you ever feel it's the only thing that makes sense, you are confined to the limits of your own creativity. To close out today's program, I want to talk about some of the latest news coming out of one of my favorite MMA organizations. Mikey Musumichi, one championship grappling champion first ever. Now, he's already off on a good start. I mean, you, you've got to understand, he's a nerd, okay? But there's a lot of other nerds that are into grappling. Now, hear me out. I'm not putting him down. You go call him a nerd and go get tied into a pretzel, right? I mean, it's one of those things. Do you guys remember when Adesanya frosted his tips? That, that's an expression for your hair. You can frost your tips. He frosted his tips and he showed up to a press conference and he told Jared Cannonier, I've done this so that when I whip your ass, you're going to have to tell people you got your ass whipped by a guy with frosted uh, tips. It's funny. I mean, like, like that's a really great line. But here's what Mikey's doing. 
Not only did he put on an absolutely stellar performance, it was non-stop aggressiveness, okay? I'm assuming you guys saw his championship match, but it was also the third time that he'd been there with that opponent. They know each other well. Not a lot happens. From a matchmaker standpoint, that can be a very dangerous game to put guys that know each other so well. It was the opposite. And was it Vince Lombardi that said the greatest defense is a good offense? All Mikey did was go on offense. That was all he did. So he was never under attack. A grappling match, much like a fight, guys, it is a dance in that one person leads at a time. Both guys are not punching. One's punching, one's blowing. Okay, the other one comes back. It's the same thing with grappling. I love that Mikey did this. Let me get to the point. Before he leaves, he calls out Demetrius Johnson. Now, that match is headed nowhere fast. I understand that. Like, Demetrius has a ton of other things to do, not to mention he just reclaimed the MMA world title. But Mikey still went for it. He still got his name attached to it. For all the things that Mikey did not, and I remember that. I remember he called out Demetrius Johnson. It's a smart thing to do. And if you're going to build grappling and you're now the champion, means you're the face of it. It is your job to get those conversations going. And Mikey did fantastic. Now Mikey comes back over the weekend. Calls out the world Sambo champion. Mikey did not say who that was. And I... In full disclosure to you, I am the Northwest Sambo champion. Have I ever told you that? 1999. Northwest Sambo champion. I have the foggiest idea what it means. It seemed like jujitsu to me. We had to wear the jackets and we showed up to a tournament and I had five matches, but I felt like I was out there doing jujitsu. Now, with that said, just because of my own ignorance, there are parts of the world where Sambo is massive. The Russian military... Amongst the most feared militaries in the world, that's what they do. They put their combatants through Sambo. So it's very respected, right? Khabib Nurmagomedov represents Sambo. Islam Makhlchev represents Sambo. I've had these discussions with Khabib. Khabib knows all sorts of things about wrestling, right? He's from Dagestan. He spent time, he grew up in wrestling rooms. That's just not what he went and competed in. When he actually competed, he went to Sambo. But Khabib knows wrestling. I mean, he is a, he's an encyclopedia. He could tell you who, who won the Olympic Games in 1984. He could tell you about 88. He could tell you about 92. I mean, he knows these things. He's a legitimate fan, but his final analysis is that Sambo trumps all. Khabib will go as far as to say, and I've, had him, I've seen him do these arguments with Henry Cejudo. And Khabib will pay his respects to wrestling, but then he will let Henry know that the judo guys are much better and much more effective than the wrestlers who Khabib has a respect for. I mean, this is like the number one guy pushing Sambo or even pushing judo would be Khabib, who's got the right to it considering he grew up with all three. He formed his own opinion, went on to be an undefeated champion, right? Like Khabib's opinion is relevant. Now, I tell you this because Mikey called out the world Sambo champion. He did not say who that was. I don't know if that's the Frenchman right now. I don't know if that's the Russian right now. I don't know if that's uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, AZE. I, I just don't know who the champion is. And I don't think that Mikey knew because he didn't say it. I still like this challenge. I am just as curious today as I was in 1993 when the Gracie family set that cage up for the first time and began mixing the martial arts began bringing the karate versus the wrestler. That was interesting to me. Not to mention the results are not what I thought. 
I thought the boxer beat everybody, followed by the karate guy. Wrestler's going to be somewhere on the list, probably towards the bottom. Just had no idea. And I found that fascinating. But I'm still there. Like, I get in arguments with Ricardo because he will go to Abu Dhabi and he will then come out of Abu Dhabi, which is the world championship. We all accept that in our community, for sure. But he will come out with a very clear understanding that he believes the rest of the world should have that jujitsu is the dominant art. And I go, hey, Ricardo, I don't know about that. Which, yeah, how can you say that? Everybody that won has a jujitsu bag. But Ricardo, wrestling wasn't represented. You guys did not let one of our monsters in there since Mark Kerr ran through the field. Judah wasn't represented. Now, Ishii, who is an Olympic champion, as you know, but it goes back to 2008, has done a very good job of going out there and competing and showing us what Judo can do. But it does make me curious, what would the current Olympic champion do? And the closest I can have is Kayla Harrison, who's done great. But it's not the same. I understand that. And now you're hearing about Sambo. And I, I must tell you, Jiu-Jitsu is a fringe and it is a niche. It's my fringe and it's my niche. But the reason I say that, you do not go to junior high and get exposed to the jiu-jitsu program. You do not go into high school and join the jiu-jitsu team. There's no college in the world that you can get a scholarship and is not a place for them in the Olympic Village every four years. It is a fringe. It's why we do other things. That's why we get them together. It's why our community goes out and holds things like Abu Dhabi. But Sambo is different. And though you can't relate to it here in America, they do have high school programs overseas that do Sambo. You can join clubs and sport when you're at university. And while the Olympic Games doesn't recognize it, they will meet you partway there, whether it's freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling, whether it's judo, they'll get you partway there. And that is where judo has a massive leg up. Yushin Okami from Japan, my very good friend, but he took judo in high school. He'd go to math, he'd go to science, he'd go to he go to judo. Like, that's something we can't relate to. Parts of the world, I mean, this is a very organized. They compete, they travel, they weigh in, they go out there, they do dual meets. It's, it's one of these things where I do think that they should be able to be represented. I would like to know very much how the current judo champion would do. Just say Mikey, the Olympic champion, which is very organized, very sought after, very recognized. There are training facilities, even here in the United States, ours is in Colorado Springs, where all you will do with your life is judo. You'll do two a day every day. In between that, you're going to eat, you're going to rest. That's it. You will go and do that for four years, getting ready for the Olympic Games. So that's respected, that's organized, that's proven. And jiu-jitsu has done such a good job, even as a fringe sport, of doing this very thing. I like Mikey's call-out. Even if I don't know who the guy is, I like that call-out. I like that call-out largely because Islam and Khabib and Ali keep telling me and insisting how effective and how great Sambo is, but I don't get to see it very much. They do a European championships. It's, it's very well attended, very well organized. I get to catch some of that stuff. Fedor went and did, did sport Sambo. Fedor even lost a match in sport Sambo. 
But these are tough guys who we respect very much. Well, Fedor's another one. I said it's just Khabib and Islam. Fedor represents Sambo. So who is the Sambo world champion? If there's somebody out there good enough to go and beat Fedor at it, if Fedor's not the best guy, you have my interest. You have my interest very much. And I have been irritated at how few people have called out Mikey. I like that Mikey's doing it. This is now the seat that he's in. He's been given an opportunity, but he's given an opportunity to build something for many other people. I feel as though Mikey's taken that very serious. I think it was a very good thing that he did. But the fact that he's having to reach out to Sambo, they couldn't say the guy's name, and the fact that Sambo hasn't responded, okay, maybe we have our answer. I can live with that. I can live with a forfeit. But the fact that Mikey's having to do it because fellow jiu-jitsu guys who are going to give it a massive opportunity aren't coming out and calling for it. I don't agree with that. Gordon Ryan has taken so much heat for having a voice. Gordon Ryan is, nobody has helped the sport more. Nobody is bringing more interest in from other areas than Gordon, but he's got a voice. He's not afraid to call somebody out. He wants to risk it. I'm seeing some of that in Mikey. I don't think that should be resisted. I think that should be supported, but more, I think it should be answered to. Who is the sitting Sambo champion and where the hell is he? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you that if you want more of me, make sure you're following me on TikTok, Sun and CH. So go do that and then come back on Friday for the next episode of the number one podcast in all of combat sports. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome.